Welcome everybody to the Nuggets of Gold podcast. Today I am with Zach McKinnell of the Blue Bloods podcast. Zach, you want to say hi to everybody real quick before we get into our stuff? Yeah, what's up guys? As you said, my name is Zach McKinnell, co-host of the Blue Blood CFB podcast, co-host Brandon Williams, man, taking a little bit of leave absence. But yeah, we just update everyone on college football rumblings and storylines and everything. So I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, and so and Zach Zach said it. He's he's a college football guy. So we're gonna be talking about some draft stuff today. Um, we're gonna start. We're gonna segment this episode out. So if you're listening on YouTube, there's gonna be three different videos posted in the next three days. So make sure to subscribe, like, do all that stuff to make sure you, you get the content out fresh. Um, but we're gonna start off by talking about J.C. Horn. Then we're gonna talk about the 49ers options at pick number 43 in the second round. And then we're gonna finish off with some of Zach's like sleeper guys to talk about. But Let's get into a potential trade-up scenario for the 49ers, and I really want to see what you think about this, but J.C. Horn, what do you think about the 49ers trading up from 43, maybe adding some extra draft capital and moving up from 43 back into the the back end of the first round and, and selecting a guy like J.C. Horn? Uh, man, the, the fit would be amazing, to be honest, to have him – Richard Sherman, Ward, all those dogs in the back end of the defense would be amazing. But for me, I mean, J.C. Horn's my number two corner. And, I mean, a lot of the mocks recently have had him going in the top 10, definitely in the top 15. I, I'd be shocked, you know, if it slid past a team like the Patriots, honestly. If they stay at 15, they – I mean, Stephen, Stephon Gilmore is not getting any younger. And you know that Belichick loves SEC talent, but – I mean, you look at Horn, I, what, what do you want to say? I mean, he ran, what, a 4.39, had an 11-inch broad jump, a 41-and-a-half-inch vert. And, I mean, my pro comp for him is uh, Marshawn Lattimore. So, as a 49ers fan, I'm sure you wouldn't mind having Marshawn Lattimore back in that secondary. Yeah, and, and you mentioned you mentioned Richard Sherman, and, and he's technically a free agent right now. I don't expect him to be brought back right oh, and, wow. and it could happen. It could definitely happen. Um, but I, I don't know. I, it feels like he probably isn't going to be back. Now he said he basically came out and said like I'm, I'm probably not going to come back. And then there were some comments made that made some people think that he might. So that's kind of up in the air. Um, I don't know if he's going to be back right now. Cornerback room: Emmanuel Mosley, Jason Verrett, and of course Kwan Williams is their is their slot corner. Now, what I would expect to happen if they did trade up and get a guy like Horn is that he probably wouldn't start right away. But he's definitely a more talented player than Emmanuel Mosley, and I think he would eventually overcome him and be that cornerback too. But you brought up the fit, and for J.C. Horn, I, I think the thing that is the, mo the most exciting about part about him is, is the hips. And yeah. his hip flexibility is ridiculous. And, and for what the 49ers kind of built their defense around is, is that, that cover three press bail, and you got to have quick hips in that. If you have quick hips and good ball skills, you can flourish. And this is a spot where he could do that. Um, I, I've heard some things about J.C. Horn, just like how he projects. And I, I know some people think that he might come out and if he gets drafted to a team that that lacks pass rusher or lacks, you know, like having a, a good defensive system around him that's going to help him, he, he might struggle a little bit early on. Um, and, and that's not to knock him. Like there's a lot of corners that get drafted and they struggle a little bit early and then they develop into really good players. Um, one guy I kind of heard like his career arc, it might look like uh, J.C. Horn's career arc is Carlton Davis where he gets drafted to the Bucks, mm -hmm. And people are a little bit iffy on him, but you put a, a good defense around him and he's a stud. So I, I think that we might see him kind of in a role like that. If he ended up in San Francisco, just fit-wise, I, I think that might be one of the very best spots that he could land. Now, 
this this is the big thing is how much is it going to take? So I'll just ask you, where do you think he is going to get drafted? Like what kind of like what type of range do you think he's going to go in? I mean, realistically, if I'm looking at the draft order, I, th- I think the biggest things that we have to figure out. So there's been a lot of rumors about the Cowboys and Kyle Pitts. The Cowboys, if if you're smart, if you have any IQ at all, you got to get you got to go corner. So do they like certain? Do they want to take the risk with Farley? Because right now Farley has a lot of injury problems. He just had back surgery, and we haven't seen him play in a year. Or do they? Or do they like this kid? And so the Cowboys are going to be one. The Broncos too. I know they made a move in free agency to get Kyle Fuller, but they really could use a second, a true second corner. I know they got some guys over there, but they don't have that true number two corner. And then, like I said, I think the Patriots are an interesting spot. And then also the Cardinals. They lost a lot. They they lost a lot of pieces from that defense. They're in win now mode. So do it's, I think they have sixteen, if I'm not mistaken. If they're sitting at sixteen. Could they grab him? I think he. There's no way JC Horn falls outside the top sixteen, in my opinion. So I think if you're going to trade, your best target is if. Man, what if Bill Belichick doesn't make a move? His guy's not there. Would Bill Belichick be willing to trade back for something or another? And I think that kind of depends on what. I mean, Jimmy G. I know there's a whole lot of rumors about what do you guys do at three? What do you do at Jimmy G? Could you offer Jimmy G and some picks to trade up to 15? That's the I think that's where that's where you're gonna have to target to have a realistic shot at JC Horn. Yeah, and, and one thing I, I noticed about him is a lot of people didn't think that his that his combine was gonna be like that great. And so I, I heard a lot of people kind of talking, and I guess not combine because there's no combine this year, but but pro day and like his workout numbers, they didn't think they would be that good. Um, which in, in my opinion, if you don't have good workout numbers, and that's the reason a guy's falling, but he's a, a stud football player. I, I think you you catch those guys that fall. Um, but we were talking a little bit before that he could potentially go before Farley. Um, and and I think like if he kind of plays himself into that super early role, it might be tough to like to see them even like have a chance of getting at him. Now, I will say I I do think there's a very large chance the 49ers try to trade up back into that that late first round area because they, they love getting those first round guys and getting that fifth year option because it, it provides a lot of flexibility for for players that pan out and are, are really successful. But if you're talking about them kind of having to move into that almost like 14, 15, 16, like before 20, I, I think it's going to get a little bit pricey. So I think that's the big question there is like, how much is that going to cost? Now, if you can trade to 15 and maybe move 43 and Jimmy to get 15 and that's their pick, I think that's an interesting move. And so I guess that would be kind of, I don't know, for you, like just looking at it from an outside perspective, do you think that would it would kind of have to consist of something like that where they move on from Jimmy, which they've definitely been shopping him, but I don't know if it's going to happen anymore. There's a lot of stuff up in the air, but for this hypothetical, do you think that's kind of the offer that would ha- be have, have to be made? Yeah, because I don't think I don't think Belichick is going to move back for anything more than getting a quarterback of the future and some draft capital. And uh, other than that, I mean, because the 49ers kind of made their bet already. You send two first to Miami. I believe you also send a third rounder, if I'm not mistaken, to Miami. So you're going to get your quarterback at three. Now, whether you think it's your guy this year, your guy next year, in the future, that's where the decision is going to have to come. But if you're going to want to get to 15, 
Bill Belichick isn't moving it for anything less than a quarterback, especially one where, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a New England insider, but everything I've read is that he didn't want to move Jimmy G in the first place. So could he make up? Could he get on Robert Kraft to say, you, you know, I did what you wanted. I traded him. We have this chance. I want Jimmy G back, and then they'll move Cam or or cut Cam or whatever they end up doing. I mean, with Cam Newton. I think they can roll with both of them. I think that they. I think that. I've been talking about this actually a lot and not 49ers, 49ers stuff, I guess. But I think that having Cam Newton and Jimmy Garoppolo and using both of them, using Cam Newton and kind of like as almost like a wildcat kind of quarterback and using him in a lot of sub package would be sweet. I, I don't know what Patriots thinks, Patriots fans think about that, but I think that'd be a really cool option. But I, I think that's kind of where we're at with this potential trade up. Love the fit. Love the, love the, just the, if it happens, like he's, I think he's going to be very successful in San Francisco, but it's going to cost a lot to go up and get him. So that's the big question. But if you're, if you're listening and, and you agree or you disagree, like let me know in the comments why, why you don't, but, but I think that's going to do it for this kind of JC Horn trade up idea. Um, but, but then moving on from that, let's talk about round two. Let's talk about this pick 43. If they don't trade up, what, what are some, who are some guys that you think are, are good fits in San Francisco that they could end up targeting with that 43, 43rd pick? Man, there's so many. I know we were talking before this episode about potential people like Javon Holland could be sitting there. I mean, this is a guy that some people, you know, at the end of 2019 was saying this was going to be a top 10 pick type of guy. I mean, and now he's available in the early second in the early second round. I mean, when you look at Javon Holland, I mean, you've watched the film. He can play slot. He can play boundary corner. He can play man-on-man. Man. He can play deep safety. He can play in the box safety. I mean, this kid can literally move anywhere. He's like 6'2", 200 pounds. He was the best DB in the Pac-12 in 2019. He ranked right behind Derek Stingley for the most valuable defensive back in the country. I, I feel like that's elite company if you're looking for an early second-round guy. You already mentioned the questions surrounding Richard Sherman. I mean – Let's let's say one of those corners don't work out. You can slide Javon Holland in. Let's say a safety gets hurt or you're not confident in your safety. You can slide Javon Holland back at safety. I think Javon Holland, if the 49ers can get him in the second round, might be even more valuable than whoever they get at number three. And that's and that's something that would be really crazy. And he, he's like, he could be a guy you immediately plug and play. And I, I think right now, if you just look at the secondary. I'll just go through real fast. You know, you have Kwaski Tart playing that that strong safety spot. Jimmy Ward playing free safety. Um, we talked about you have Jason Verrett, Kwan Williams, and Emmanuel Mosley slated to be to be in all the three corner spots. But if you get Javon Holland and you kind of like, all right, dude, you're the big depth piece. Um, I also I also think this applies the same for Elijah Molden. Um, I feel the same way about him. Like they're similar mold. Like they play a similar style. Um, and they're they kind of play that Jimmy Ward role where they can play anywhere. You can put them in different situations. You know, you can put them to man up. They're able to man up on guys. Uh, they're also to play single high. You know, they have great ball skills. They're able to just go out there and be playmakers. So I, I like kind of going after one of those guys and saying, hey, like, we don't really know what our secondary is going to look like a year from now, but we can ha- find this guy. We can find out where he fits best, and then he can be that, you know, not even as a rookie necessarily, but he can turn into whatever we want him to be come his second season. Because you, you look at the Niners secondary and a lot of these guys aren't on, on long-term deals. They're all pretty short-term right. deals. Um, I think Kwaski's on a one-year deal and K1 Williams on a one-year deal. And same thing with um, Jason Verrett. So like these guys could definitely just be kind of slated, like almost like waiting 
but they're getting mentored by a lot of veteran secondary players that have had a lot of success in the NFL. Um, also, they might not just like target a secondary guy at, at in the second round. However, and I'm I'm a big guy of of drafting defensive line over drafting secondary players if the talent's there. I don't know if the talent's going to be there, and the 49ers have put a lot of of capital and and money into their defensive line, so I don't know what they're going to what they're kind of thinking there. But I do expect them to take a guy in the secondary either day two or if they traded back into the first round. So I, I like the idea of a Javon Holland or a, or an Elijah Molden. Um, one other guy I wanted to bring up in the secondary is. Eric Stokes, how do you think he could project there? Because when I'm watching him, I'm saying, all right, this guy could be an outside corner. Same same thing we were kind of talking about, uh, J.C. Horn. He's a, he's a playmaker. He has great ball skills. He can be an outside corner. They ran a lot of press. I think that he could could fit into that that cover three press man bail. And, and, and also, you know, he, he can play man, but you can play him in cover three a lot, and you see the ball skills. I think that you can see him. You see all the highlight, highlight real plays that he makes because he's – I don't know, like I, I watch his highlight tape and I watch a couple games from him, but his highlight tape, like there's so many touchdowns that he's causing is pretty crazy. Um, and of course, yeah. we're not judging these guys on highlight tapes, but but I like him a lot. A very, very fast player. And so so what do you think about his fit in San, in San Francisco? I, th- I think he's a lower ceiling type of safety that you're going to see. I mean, so he, he's going to be a consistent player, I feel like. I feel like he's going to be that – guy that you look back in like 10 15 years it's like man this dude played forever he just never reached like he want an all pro safety if that makes sense i think his ceiling is a 10 12 year starter who's just consistent always always make he'll have those highlight plays because for as you saw in his highlight tape he has wide receiver hands for a defensive back those hands are so soft and he and his ball skills are at a very high level and the other thing that I don't, I don't think people look at him a lot. You know, I know that Josh Pate for 247 hates this. He hates mock draft season because he said all these NFL guys invade college football towns and think they know everything. But if you look at where he comes from, too, I mean, this kid started every year he was at Georgia. I don't know if, you know, if all the uh, all your listeners are up to date on SEC football, it's real hard to go in there and start at Georgia for multiple years. That shows you the level he plays at. He was the he was Kirby Smart's right hand man in the secondary. If you go back and watch Georgia games, he was in charge of making sure everybody in the secondary and even the linebackers and D line knew what they were doing. He was the man with with the plan, and he was the leader of that Georgia team. And you saw what heights they reached. They had a quarterback issue. That's that's a whole other thing. But that defense was probably going to have nine draft picks from last year. But Eric Stokes was the guy they all looked to, and I think that's a, that's a quality I don't think you can teach in a player. They either have that leadership skill or don't. And so if I told you without a name, you're going to get a playmaker, a guy who can, when he gets his hands on the ball, will make plays, and he's, he's an excellent leader, you would be like, give me that dude 10 times out of 10, especially in the second round. You're selling me on on Eric Stokes <laughs> <laughs> because what, what, what we've seen a lot with the the Kyle Shanahan John Lynch regime is that they they are big on high character guys and I mean we've seen them we've seen them reach a couple times just to get some high character guys over some other players which um, I, I'm not going to critique them for that either because I think that's something that a lot of organizations they don't they don't really think is an important thing but you start putting a, a lot of high level guys in a locker room and you're building a, a very good culture. Also, uh, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, their drafting like strategy has been, hey, we like these guys that come from big programs. 
they'll take guys that that weren't you know like high high talent, but they played in the SEC their whole career, and you know they can project to be like a depth piece. But they were starting in the SEC, like they want those guys from big programs all the times. And then of course they're they're gonna mix that up with some more athletic players. But a lot of their their picks have been high level dudes from the SEC, from from Power Five football, and guys that are playing for good programs. If if Eric Stokes is is this leader that that you that you feel like he is, I, I think that's a huge chance that they that they take him in the second round. Um, and, and you were talking about him being a, being a, potentially being a safety. When, when I'm watching him a lot, he's he's playing a lot of outside corner. Is he another one of those guys that you can kind of play different in some different spots? He, when when he first got to Georgia, he was moved around this all around the secondary, so he has experience every, everywhere. So. Just when I look at the 49ers roster, I feel like they want to try to see what they can get from Mosley and Verrett on the outside. And, you know, they already got their slot guy figured out. So why not just see if, like, okay, if we stick them, I think wherever you have a hole as the 49ers, you can stick Stokes for one year, see what he can do. And then as you learn more about him, he'll find his niche. So you might not see immediate production from Stokes. But in terms of how I think about the NFL draft, first round guys, in the first half of the second round, you want to be instant starters. Anything after that, if they develop in two, three years, you nailed it. That's that's all you need. You don't need the future Hall of Famers in the third, late second rounds. You just want to get someone who can play, someone who's not going to cost your team the game, and that's what you're going to get with Stokes. And I think it'll take a year or two to kind of figure out where he fits in the scheme because I also don't know what the defensive scheme is going to look like for the 49ers losing their defensive coordinator. I'm really not up to date on what, what the defensive scheme is going to be, but I think Stokes can fit wherever this new defensive coordinator wants to put them. Yeah, so so just real quick on that. I mean, what what I kind of project them to do is um, last season or seasons prior when they had Richard Sherman there, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if he's going to be back. Um, I'd expect him not to be back, but it's a lot of cover three. It's a lot of, it's a pretty heavy zone, zone coverage concept. And then last season when Sherman went down, and and they had Akella Witherspoon, who's who's now at the Seahawks, um, and, and Jason Verrett out there, Emmanuel Mosley. You started to see them shift in a little bit more of man, using some cover too, and and really kind of becoming a more versatile defense. And so I kind of think they're shifting a little bit away from like that almost like strict cover three. Um, but I don't really know how it's going to look. I think it should look pretty similar. Uh, their new defensive coordinator is D'Amico Ryan's, who was their linebacker coach, who. Uh, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner are his two case studies. So I, th- th- that's a good sign right there. Yes, um, that's a perfect sign. Fred yeah. Warner is a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that that's exciting. But I, I like this Eric Stokes idea. Um, but offensive line, one, one guy I've kind of looked into potentially them potentially getting is Creed Humphrey. I don't know if he'll make it to 43. Um, and for, for yeah, and that's with a lot of guys. But also he could be a guy you trade back into the first four. Like there, there's so many like they, things you can do. Um, and I, I think a lot of people would, are, if you haven't really thought about the Niners trading up into the first, you go, oh, they just traded all that to move up to three. The thing is they have like extra third round picks from Saul leaving. And so you have three fifths and you have stuff like that. Also, they're building a, a mostly veteran roster. So there's not a lot of like starting spots and there's not a lot of room for these late round pieces to fit. So they're going to be willing to part with with extra late later round picks to move up and get out that they love. And we've seen them do that a lot in the past, so I think there's a big chance. Um, but but Creed Humphrey, he he could start, I think, at right guard for them and then eventually move to center to replace Alex Mack. And what a better guy to mentor him for that system. 
even if he didn't start for the whole first year and was just a backup center, I still think that there's there's reason for them to even take him in the late first because yeah. his, his also his size, he's 6'4", 312. You don't have these dudes that are 350 playing in Kyle's system because you got to be able to move, and, and, and Creed's a guy that can move. So I kind of think this is a that could also be a route that they go. Yeah, and he stays healthy. That's the thing. I don't think a lot of people – staying healthy is half the fight for an offensive lineman. Once you get with those high weights, though, you know, people always say, oh, running backs are so fragile, the career life. Man, offensive line, you get beat down during the season. If you can't stay healthy, we've seen so many amazing offensive linemen not stay healthy and just have their career ruined. I mean, Quentin Nelson's arguably the one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Have you ever heard about him getting hurt? Half half the fight is just availability. So I think Creed Humphrey is great. You said, I mean, like you said, he played at a big university. He played against some talented defensive, um, I mean, defensive linemen. He allowed zero sacks in three years at Oklahoma. That's, um, what else do you want, guys? I, I, their one job is not to give up sacks, and he didn't do it from the center spot. That's, that's remarkable, and that's important too, because because I don't know how much you know about like Kyle's system, but the center is is crucial to that that success in the run game and and also the pass game because because the center is a guy that's really like calling all of the pass cover like or uh like blocking um I don't know, like concepts I guess yeah. and you know he's like he's the leader of that of that line and, and if you, and also what a good spot for him because he's not going to have the pressure to come in there and immediately all right you got to immediately deliver no there's a there's Alex Mack there former all pro that's going to mentor you and that's already been in Kyle's system on two different teams so I, I like that fit. I would be totally cool with them going and get the offensive lineman. Not a flashy pick, but definitely an option. Um, and yeah. we're not going to really talk about much of some edge guys, but but real quick, like who would be a couple names just to kind of think about in that range? Man, there you know every year I think everyone has that prospect that they just fall in love with, and it's like I promise you, I don't care what his grade is, this guy's going to be a star. Carlos Boogie Basham, Wake Forest. I know the school. You're like who watched a Wake Forest game this year. I bet no one listening to the podcast watched Wake Forest. This kid dominated the senior bowl, man. I'm talking about dominated those those first-round NFL offensive linemen that you're talking about, those second-round guys. This is a guy that had over 20 sacks in his career. He's 6'5", 285, but he, but he runs so fast. I mean, there's, there's film. If you go watch his highlights where he'll have an inside move, and it, he just does it so agile, so fast that the offensive lineman doesn't even touch him. He he's a specialty pass rusher. He's big enough to play on the inside if you want. He's a and that's a mismatch. He's so fast that those inside offensive linemen don't know what's coming. And he's powerful and physical enough on the outside. His one negative, the thing that made him drop to this sec, late second uh, round spot, is he never came off the field. Wake Forest didn't have enough depth to ever get him a break. So the down-to-down -down consistency was his biggest weakness. With the 49ers, though, he's not going to have to play down-to-down. -down. Defensive line so stacked. If you can get a fresh boogie basham in there on pass rushing plays with Bosa, with Arce, with all those guys y'all have, I'm talking about quarterbacks are going to have nightmares. And with some of the horrible offensive lines we see in the NFC West, I mean, no offense to Seattle or Arizona either. I mean, Basham – uh, Bosa, Armstead will eat, and Basham is the perfect late-round pick because he's not going to have to start immediately. He can learn, but he's talented, physical, 
physical enough and has the size where he's going to be deadly. And I'm telling you, this would be an amazing pick for the 49ers. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, you're not going to find a guy that's more into building the defensive line. Cause (laughs) I saw them, I saw them build up that defensive line and kind of put some other things on the back burner. And then all of a sudden, boom, this defensive line was absolutely dominant. And that was, that was one of the most dominant defenses I've ever watched for a full season in in 2019, (laughs) because you have a second wave of guys that are starting level players. And if you have him out there coming in the second wave, if he's if he's just come as a rookie, he might just come in to spell Bosa and not really mm-hmm. play that much. And that's that's crucial if you can have a guy like that coming in and and giving quality pass rushes and and just being an overall really talented player. Um, I, I love that idea as well. Um, also not going to get into the receivers today, but there's a bunch of names: Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, Terrence Marshall, Kadarius Tony, Dwayne Eskridge. There's so many names. Um, I'm going to get into those guys later on in the offseason, but. Uh, that's going to do it for talking about round two. So let's, let's wrap up this episode and finish it off with, with your sleeper guys. Um, maybe some late round guys, day three. Um, I just want to hear what you're kind of thinking some, some guys and, and what, how you think they fit into the 49ers systems and, and why you like them in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think we got to start with the interior offensive line, Aaron Banks from Notre Dame. Only allowed two sacks his whole career, only two hits, under 10 hurries a season. His pass protection is where he excels. He's, But the problem is, I mean, with the all scheme, you'll have to be really athletic. He's so big at like 6'6", 330, that he, he's not a huge mover, but he's so big you can't move him. He's a great pass, pass blocker, and once he gets your hands on you, you're going for a ride. There's no, there's no swim move that can save you. There's no rip move that can save you. You're going to the ground, and you're going where he wants you to go. And that's the same with Deontay Brown, Alabama offensive lineman. He's 6'3", 350, man. This dude, they called him the mountain at the senior bowl when we covered it. At zero sacks allowed and it, at Alabama. In the SEC, zero sacks allowed and allowed under seven hits on the quarterback in his entire was- career. And is he projected to play guard? Yep, he's a guard. He's he's six he's he's six three three fifty. Okay, so so I would have to say if he is going to play with Niners, he's going to have to probably cut like thirty pounds. And I, I don't know I don't know how much that would affect a guy like him, but if he's out there and he's a very talented player, it's worth a late round flyer. Like that's the thing about these guys is you're just trying to find talented players, and and you kind of find a role for them, and you kind of like shape them how you want to shape them, but. But if you have a guy that's playing at Alabama that's not going to get drafted early, that's that's really successful. And also you said he had a lot of success at the Senior Bowl as well? Yep. Yeah, he, he had a lot of success. And he's experienced, but he played over 500 snaps at left and right guard. So he has experience on both sides of the line. He's, he's stepping to tackle. And like you said, if, if, if you're sitting in the fourth, fifth round and this guy's sitting there, why not take him? If he doesn't work out, that's fine. You can get rid of him. But, you know, in, what if you just use him in the goal line? Who's going to stop a 350 dude from just barreling into the end zone? They just can't do it. And on the defensive side, man, I'm, I got two edge rushers and then one secondary guy for you before we wrap this up. Cameron Sample. I know you don't know who that is. I know, you know, I didn't. He's a two-lane edge rusher. No one probably even knows where two-lane is. It's in New Orleans. He won the Senior Bowl MVP this year out of Tulane as a defensive end, 6'4", 280. You know, you mentioned earlier you like those athletic guys on the edge that can move. This kid is a linebacker playing defensive end, and it's unfair. He plays really low. His number one thing, I heard a scout say, the way he uses his leverage 
is disgusting. He will take you off your feet. Like he has pancaked offensive linemen from just getting up underneath them and using his uh, physicality. He His reaction, his win rate, his versatile body type is what makes him amazing. He had a 90.5 pass rush grade from PFF this year. The only the reason he's a th- third, fourth, fifth round pick is because he played at Tulane. I mean, the the scout report, the scouting report I read said "man among boys." That was it. And, that's what he put in competition. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you talk. We talked about Carlos Basham in, in the last segment, and it, it say they don't get a guy like that. You want to get these guys that have a chance to that that are, have a ton of potential in these late rounds for for the Niners, especially. They're not looking for. They have a lot of guys. They have a lot of their depth guys playing different roles. Um, I don't know if you know much about this guy. They just signed a guy, Samson Ebukam, who mm-hmm. who people kind of I, I hadn't watched him before he came over, and I've I've watched his film now. I actually did a, like a report on it, but he's kind of like advertised as almost this this bendy speed guy. He's not a bendy speed guy. He's a I'm really fast. I'm really strong, and they're going to try to mold him into you know whatever they feel is his best role. Um, and I'm sorry, what was this guy's name from Tulane? I for, I forgot his name. Uh, Cam- Cameron Sample. Cameron Sample. If he's a guy that's he has all the talent in the world. Why not put him into a like into this defensive line where you have Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, Javon Kinlaw? You just have all of these super, super talented defensive linemen and go, hey, we're going to give you a super, super specific role as a rookie. You're going to come in, you're going to play 10 to 20 downs a game, and you're gonna you're gonna play your ass off, basically, and you're gonna play this one specific role. And you are so talented that when you come in, and you look to your left, and, and Nick Bose is there. And you look to your right, and it's Javon Kinlaw and Eric Armstead on that side. And say, hey, maybe even D Ford's on the field, and you got you know five five men out here. It, that's how you succeed. That's how you get these guys into positions to succeed. So that, that's his, like a, a big win if you can land one of these guys late like that. Yeah, and I mean he was just a late bloomer, man. He was small coming out of high school. He was a two, one or two star recruit. That shows you how just out of nowhere, his pass rush grade went from 69 to 90, 90.5 in one year when he grew. And he and he had the highest win rate in the senior bowl for all defensive linemen. So that shows you what he can do. And another edge rusher, Quincy Roche. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this guy. He was the AAC defensive player of the year, transferred down to Miami. Didn't really have a great year, but I mean, this is a 25 plus sack type of guy. He's 6'5", 250, athletic. He just kind of got caught up in the ACC this year, man. With COVID, when you transfer schools to not have a spring practice, to not have summer workouts, to not have a fall camp, and you still get six sacks, you still had 25 quarterback hurries. This dude had 42 quarterback hurries in 2019 and over 14 sacks. The kid's a baller. I was was just going to say, like, you start talking about this like COVID offseason stuff. We're going to see guys like, like like him potentially that just slide a lot and they have a ton of talent. It's not about the talents, but it's like the lack of production in their last year and they get overlooked because of that. But it's hard it's hard to like judge guys on 2020, especially, especially transfers too. Because how are you supposed to expect this guy to come in and, and play like he typically should? It's really hard to expect a guy to do that. So I, I like that you bring him up. Um, but any other guys you wanted to bring up before we kind of take off here? Um, just one more safety for you, man. A guy, versatile guy, Paris Ford from Pitt. Um, you know, this is a guy who was probably, ar- I would say, arguably, he had offers from Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and went to Pitt. And he played safety. He can step down to the box at 6'1", 200 pounds. He can, be, he can be in the slot. He can be outside. And 
he just never he never he opted out in the middle of the year and it really hurt his stock but the way that his play style was described to me by a scout I talked to is that reckless he plays recklessly because he is just ready to knock someone's head off and he is flying around the field and his biggest negative is that he doesn't have a super fast 40 but also with being reckless, sometimes he le- he leaves his eyes on the quarterback. So he's a developmental guy that's going to fall to the sixth, seventh round. But he was an ACC player of the year contention this year, man, before he opted out. So if you get a potential ACC player of the year in the sixth or seventh round, I can live with that if I'm the 49ers. And and you said he was 6'1 and how big? Um, he, He's weighed, I think he weighed 205 at the pro day. Okay. You know, I was, I was thinking for a second because I, I haven't watched him. But I was thinking for a sec, what, what they're kind of trying to do is with their Sam linebacker role, they're almost turning that guy into a hybrid safety. Now, now this guy probably projects to be a little bit too small for that. But Kwaski Tart, he's on a one-year mm-hmm. deal. They only have Marcel Harris backing him up. Um, Mar- Marcel Harris has taken some steps forward, but he could definitely be a guy you, you draft, stash on the practice squad, and they develop him, to, him into a potential backup kind of box safety guy. Or maybe he projects to be like the starter down the road. But I mean, I love the late flyers. Uh, anytime you can find talent at the end of the draft, that's super crucial. So I, I want to say again, Zach, thanks for coming on the show, man. This is super fun. Sure, um, hopefully we can get you on before for the draft, or maybe we'll get you on after and you know maybe go over some evaluations of these guys that they take. Hopefully they they land one of your guys. But um, real quick, anyone that's watching, you like listening to Zach's stuff? I'll make sure to link his podcast in the bio. It's the Blue Bloods pod. So if you're trying to get some college football, trying to get some NFL draft stuff, make sure to check it out. But thanks, everyone, for listening. And and thanks again for coming on, Zach. This is a lot of fun.